Hello, this is World Focus from Brussels. My name is Sveit Helgason. How Iceland Changed the World is the title of a new book published by Penguin and written by my fellow Icelander, journalist Egil Bjarnason. He tells the history of those who have lived on this volcanic island in the middle of the North Atlantic for 1200 years, featuring various historical figures from Vikings to the first female president, plus chess player Bobby Fischer. In this episode, I speak with Eil about the book and how Iceland and Icelanders have changed the course of world history. Well, Spassky is waiting. Right, and it uh, waiting and wondering whether Bobby will show or not show. And there's absolutely dead silence in the hall. Spassky is pacing, he's nervous, and... Wait, here comes Fisher, coming on the stage, saying that he was caught in traffic. I think Spassky was visibly relieved. And also perhaps pained. Women in Iceland uh, decided to take a day off, and it became world known because they proved when they walked out from institutions and everywhere, from the homes even, that uh, uh, women are pillars of society as well as men. My name is Egil. I've learned that only people from Iceland and Slovakia can actually pronounce the name. So I usually say Eagle when I'm on, on the interviews with uh, foreign hosts, but we, are, we speak the same language. So, so I'll, I'll introduce myself as Egil Bjarnason. I'm a reporter in Iceland. I'm currently speaking from Northern Iceland, from the town of Husavik. And you were the author of How Iceland Changed the World. Yes, I just published this book called with the uh, the title that is maybe not so humble, but uh, is a is a, a a way to to get uh, people who are not Icelandic interested in Icelandic history. Exactly. Let's begin by talking about that. Why write this kind of book? How did it come about? I've been a correspondent, or what's called a stringer, for the AP for some time. And that means I have to come up with stories. And sometimes the Associated Press, they, they asked me to do some stories. And a few years ago, they, they suggested that I would update the obituary archive that they have. They have this archive of about 1,500 pre-written obituaries uh, about mostly famous people to be released immediately upon their death. Um, but there are also these uh, medium famous or less famous figures that we've never heard of, but we've heard of what they've done. Uh, so they maybe invented a famous slogan or been uh, motivated a, a famous uh, political event or invented a company or something like that. They, they put their mark on history. But my editor at the time, he asked if, if there should be any Icelanders in that uh, archive. And so that's when I started sort of looking around and seeing where we, Icelanders, the ones who are alive today and from the past, where they've sort of put a mark on, on, on world history in some way or another. And that's sort of how the theme came about. But I've always been interested in the history of Iceland because it's so rare that you can tell the history of one country from day one. Because as you know, we have these sagas which which tell the history of the early settlers. They, they're not 100% accurate, but they, they do give us a narrative to go from, from, from the birth of the nation to the modern day. So that's a really natural story that I wanted to tell, but I didn't really have 
a way into it until I started thinking about it from this sort of global perspective of how can I connect this Icelandic history to famous world events. And that's what the book tries to do in, in 10 chapters. Uh, so I have to ask the question, how has Iceland changed the world? Is that for real? I, I think it's easy to dismiss some of the some of the things that Iceland has done for the world. I know that the world as we know it today would does not have Iceland to thank for it. But uh, but there are we I go from the medieval times to the modern era, and and I, some of it maybe is more convincing than than others, but and some of it is more surprising than than others, such as a big volcanic eruption that happened in the 18th century and prompted a a short food shortage in Europe. And as we know, it was the peasants in France who were who were struggling and starving, who then uh, uh, revolted against the monarchy and 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 did what is to today called the French Revolution. That is one way that Iceland has, has influenced uh, the world, and uh, another is our uh, tradition of writing down uh, s- stories. In the medieval times, I I try to weave this together in sort of uh, ten chapters. I think I, what Iceland's main impact is is being this sort of country in the middle. It's it's been between Europe and North America. It's been between Euro- North America and the so- Soviets, and and you know maybe in the future it would be between Europe and China as the the, the, the as the, the the Arctic melts. So that that is in the modern in the modern sense that's that's Iceland's main influence, but and that's sort of come about in various ways. So geographical location, nature has something to do with it. We we can't help where we are. We are Iceland is in the middle of the Atlantic, as you as you said. So that plays into several of the chapters. Um, for example, the chapter on the Second World War. The, the geographical location of Iceland is crucial there. It is, and I think if it, with the, the the part that we played in the Second World War is maybe arguably the biggest role that we have played. If we if we go into this uh, what if history of the world, what would have happened if for some reason Icelanders would have decided to just lend the country to the Nazis, you know, it would have just taken, uh, you know, maybe a few powerful men at the time who leaned uh, towards the Germans for one reason or another, who to really change the course of history. But they, they, they did side with the, with the allies. Uh, and, uh, and that gave the allies a base to protect the the shipping routes to the UK, which were the, the the Nazis on the other side of the on the other side of the Atlantic, the Nazis were really kind of suffocating that uh, those routes, and then that was their entire strategy for a long time was to block everything from oil and and cotton and clothing and 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 arms arms supplies to enter Britain and weaken the states. With with uh, with with that tactic, and but Iceland turned into this into this uh, landing strip and a hub that uh, 
gave them a, a powerful port. And also Icelandic seamen, uh, they uh, made sacrifices and were willing to take big risks, as you describe in the book. Absolutely. They, they, they took enormous risks by, by catching fish in Iceland and, and uh, shipping it to the UK. And that meant sailing past uh, or in waters that, that had a lot of German submarines. And many of them, or some of them, lost their lives doing that because they sailed unarmed and, uh, to, to supply the, the UK with, with fish. Uh, because the national diet at the time and <laughs> was fish and chips. And uh, the, the UK had promised to buy all the fish that Iceland could bring because they thought that they couldn't provide the population with fish and chips, it would greatly affect uh, national morale. You tell the story in the book with persons, personalities, perhaps one could put it. Uh, there's Bobby Fisher, the woman who was the babysitter for J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, etc., etc. There are the Vikings. You open many of the chapters with setting the scene. So there are historical facts, there are dates, years, etc. But the way I read the book and enjoyed it is how you tell the history through people. Was that approach uh, that you were trying to, to uh, adopt? It's, it's, it's fun to, to write that way, and I find it more fun to read as well. So I think that was the main re reason that I, I, I took that approach, that it's, it's a great way into the stories to tell it through to the people involved. And, and I mean, in this, we're talking about Iceland, but we, mainly we're talking about Icelanders uh, who, have, who have changed the course of history. And so I, I, I thought it was the most appropriate to, to tell most chapters through characters I mean, we, we just spoke about the Second World War chapter, which is probably the, the, the only chapter that, which doesn't have this sort of single uh, figure at the center of it. And some of them, a single individual has played a much bigger role, like the, our first female president and the first female president that the world had ever seen in a after a direct vote. Um, that, that, that was that's sort of on the other end of the spectrum. We're talking there about Vigdís uh, Fimbáðdóttir and uh, Bobby Fischer, as we mentioned, he um, played this, this uh, incredible chess match, the duel of the century, they called it in, in 1972 in Reykjavík, played against uh, uh, Spassky, uh, the Russian chess player. And then, um, as fate would have it, Bobby Fischer is buried in a cemetery just outside our common hometown, Selfos. That's curious. That's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so for the sake of full disclosure, we have both worked at the same local newspaper in Iceland, uh, uh, in this town called, of Selfos, and, and it's near Reykjavik. It's a really random fact about the town that it's really the only tourist attraction that it has is, is Bobby Fisher's uh, dead body. And, and it's on the outskirts of town. And I was working at the paper when he was buried there. He was buried in the middle of the night to avoid uh, disputes over his body. And uh, it, it was really the only, uh, the first time there was uh, a world event in, in my 
in my town. So it was it was this entire saga of Bobby Fischer's impact in Iceland, how he entered Icelandic life and became a, a figure immediately. And he had this uh, local policeman who who really made this uh, much of the century possible by 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 getting to Fischer when everything else had failed. Uh, this this entire saga of, uh, of him. That was the first chapter I thought of when I was uh, working with the book. It's it, because it kind of captures the spirit of Iceland and Icelanders. At the time, the match was played in Iceland because Iceland was between the Soviets and the North America. And it happened because uh, Icelanders and this uh, policeman called Saime, he, he had this Icelandic spirit of uh, when you get a task... And this is probably because there are so few of us. Uh, when you get a task, you know, you just kind of, you roll with it and you you give it your best uh, because there's no one else to really put, uh, roll the responsibility towards or, uh, or you, you just kind of have to, to, to take it on and, and give it your best. And that's what this, this guy, who's just a normal guy in Iceland, did and he 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 made this uh, this uh, milestone in the Cold War uh, happen. And you perhaps mentioned what could be interpreted as the can-do attitude of Icelanders. Um, we are very confident, often about doing things. Sometimes overconfident, which is uh, both perhaps a strength and a weakness. Is that? A theme that, in part, runs through the, through the book uh, from early early days of Iceland and and through you know even the financial crisis back in two thousand eight. Yeah, I think the financial crisis maybe captured that overconfidence uh, at its best. Um, uh, but for sure, and I think it's 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 what will happen in a country has as few people as Iceland uh, you know I once heard about this driver or you know taxi driver who was tasked to 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 drive the king of uh, Sweden or something around Iceland and you know by the time they there was lunch they they went into this fine di- the finest dining hall of Iceland and they both entered the taxi driver, of course, he took the seat next to the king. He was he was traveling with him, and and that's for him. That was a really natural thing to do. It's just like we are doing the same thing. We're traveling around Iceland. Why would I sit somewhere else? It's, everyone has such a big role to play when there are few people, and so we get really confident as a result. We we believe we can do everything, which is good. This desirable effect. Something you want. It's a spirit you want in a society. And perhaps what captures that best is uh, Icelanders are now, I think, three hundred sixty-eight thousand something something. We almost tell the exact number of inhabitants in Iceland up to each head. Yeah, we do. We, we yeah, we we're counting. I, I'm waiting for the day that we will exceed the number of sheep in in Iceland that has not happened yet but that will be a big big milestone that might happen in in, in my lifetime right now I think that the national the population of sheep is around 420,000 but they are declining a real growing so you know that would be that would be a big game changer we might catch up with the number of sheep I'm wondering 
For whom is this book written? Is it only for foreigners? It's in English, of course. Is it also for Icelanders to read? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I. I mean, I learned a lot writing the book. Uh, I I spent uh, many many months uh, reading up on Iceland's history and to cover it in this sort of light way. Uh, and 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 so I I th- I think absolutely an Icelanders and I've heard from Iceland readers that they have enjoyed it and learned from it. So I I I. I I would not discourage them from, from reading it and buying it, um, but the uh, the idea and, and that's what's when I when I started re- writing it uh, and pitching it to my publisher was to to write a book about Iceland's history for someone who did not have a big stake in Iceland's history to make it relevant for someone who 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 just came or just sort of wanted to. To get to, to kind of grasp Iceland's history, the reviews that I have read have been fairly positive. Some reviewers in the foreign press say it's it's funny, it's a little quirky, but um, interesting in a special way. Are you pleased with the the re- reviews in the foreign press so far? Uh, I'm really pleased. I am, and I'm surprised. I did not think that anyone would be. Uh, I mean, there was no one waiting for Iceland's history. To to be published uh, so uh, I didn't no one and my, not even my publisher wasn't really sure how it would be perceived I, I think they you know the timing was uh, was was a little bit strange it was published in May this year when things were sort of opening up but no one really knew what was going to happen so so the, the appetite for Iceland's history was, was really uncertain to me and, and I think everyone else who, who, who helped me write this book. So, so I, I'm really pleased on how, how things have uh, turned out. Is it fair to say that apart from Iceland best in the world and uh, per capita thinking that Icelanders, of course, use a lot, is it still fair to say that often Iceland is actually punching above its weight? Yeah, I think it's fair, you know, given the size of the economy, tiny, and the population size, uh, we we do achieve uh, a lot. Uh, and 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 today, I think we have, we may have, we may be at the peak of our influence by being this considered this big. Uh, policymaker when it comes to gender uh, policies, other other countries look towards Iceland is doing and often given credit for policies that Iceland has did not invent, but has put in place and uh, is seen as this this uh, great model for the rest of the world for women particularly to be uh, happier in the workplace and 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 also to uh, not. Uh, skip on having babies. Uh, that's Iceland has high fertility rate, but also one of the highest labor participation of women in the world. And those two things are what other countries desire. Uh, and we, the, in the book, I, I tell the story of an agent who works in the prime minister office and goes around the world to teach other uh, countries about how Iceland is doing that, how it's Improving gender and but also improving the economy in some ways, 
so I think that those are enormous influences that, that Iceland has uh, in, 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 in foreign policy that is uh, not had before. What's next? I presume you have some projects uh, that you're working on. Uh, yeah, well, I, we'll see. I, I, my, my, uh, I now have a publisher, and, and uh, that, uh, that, uh, and, and, and uh, so, so it'll be easier to to pitch my next book. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, right now, I'm just trying to enjoy this warm Icelandic summer that we have. But by this book, how Iceland changed the world. You are introducing Iceland, I think, to to uh, many readers. And as you mentioned, in my opinion, Icelanders, uh, many of them uh, could do well in reading more about their own country's history. At least my experience, when I read the book, I picked up a lot of new things. I connected a lot of dots. And my historical uh, knowledge is scrappy at best. Should Icelanders read more Icelandic history? Absolutely. And I think if we talk about books in Iceland, about Iceland's history, I think it is a bit of a weakness in how we have structured our grant system because we give grants to writers, but we only give grants really to writers who are artists, uh, who write novels. And we give out a lot of money to to as uh, to, to for writers to to write in Icelandic because it's just a small market it needs to be subsidized and everyone kind of agrees that that needs to happen but that has kind of created a big gap between non-fiction writing and fiction writing so we don't have this big tradition of uh, creative non-fiction writing which which takes history and and kind of dresses it up as a as a as a as something that's easy to digest then you can read while you're on holiday as opposed to which as opposed to a general history book which you would only read in school which is important but uh, it's a tradition that i think we we should we could embrace more and therefore be more interested in our history but have you had reviews from icelandic historians that have you know, looked at this through the microscope. Does it hold up to historical uh, academic standards? I've had one correction, uh, and, uh, and 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 that was sort of to be expected. The, our president, uh, he has read the book, and he he is a he is a historian. He's on sabbatical right now uh, to to work as a president, uh, and and uh, uh, but he has he's read the book and he's I. Told me he was pleased with it, so so I. <laughs> so, and, and he discussed a few chapters. He he seemed to be mostly interested in the chapters where I did most of, you know, my my first hand research, and and I have had uh, good reviews in the Icelandic papers. Uh, the book was reviewed here in the biggest daily, uh, and uh, it, I mean the the way I, Icelanders of course approach work like this differently than the the, the, the local readers. They they tend to grab one thing and kind of be really interested in that uh, which uh, which would would be expected uh, so so yeah yeah i i i i mean i yeah, i've enjoyed this uh, i enjoyed that uh, a lot and as you mentioned you did considerable 
first-hand research. Also, of course, you quote a lot of, of sources, um, autobiographies and, and cetera. You also, as it looks, you interviewed people specifically for the book, but you also did some initial research and you also based um, some of your observations on your own experience. For example, your sailing experience, going to Greenland, etc. cetera. Uh, when you talk about uh, finding um, America, etc. So that was came in handy for you. Absolutely. And I think that that was one of the things that gave me the competence to to write the book. I had uh, done uh, lots of sailing trips on these old vessels, the vessels that were really similar uh, in, to the, the original old ships that sailed between Iceland for most of its history. They had, you know, sailing boats that, that these boats, they have a motor, but uh, they ultimately are powered by wind. Uh, they now also have a compass, which the early settlers did not have. But in other ways, in all other aspects of it, it's really similar. Uh, and and I think just having that experience of you know sailing both to Europe and to to Greenland. Uh, after that, I felt like I I had uh, uh, this sort of experience that that could give me a bit of an authority on the issue. And that, that was the, the first thing, the, the first pages that I wrote in the book were, were kind of related to that. Well, um, I think we'll finish at that. And I encourage everyone in Iceland and abroad to read this book. It's called How Iceland Changed the World. The author is Eil Bjarnason from Selfoss in southern Iceland. Eil Thanks for speaking to World Focus from Brussels. Thank you for having me.